Part of the Rewatching Good Television Podcast Network. It's the Sorkin Cast. Here's your host, Matthew Murdick. And welcome to the Sorkin Cast. It's episode 45 of the podcast where this week we are covering West Wing, Season 2, Episode 18, entitled 17 People. My name is Matt Murdick, and I am from SorkinCast.wordpress.com. That's where you can find all of the back episodes of the podcast. You can find the contact links, like if you have any feedback for our upcoming feedback podcast. By the way, that deadline is Tuesday, July 12th, to get anything in about Season 2 of The West Wing into me so I can include it in the feedback podcast. Um, but some of those links that you can use to contact me are sorkincast at gmail.com or you can tweet at sorkincast or you can call the listener line and leave a voicemail 314-669-1840. In addition to your just regular season two feedback for the West Wing, you can also submit to me your nominations for the West Wing Awards, which includes your favorite and least favorite episode, your favorite and least favorite scene, your favorite and least favorite main character, or your favorite and least favorite guest star. And with that, I don't suppose there's anything else to do except remind you that we've got a whole string of podcasts here where I actually have a guest. A lot of you folks in the feedback so in times past or in reviews have uh, actually asked me to have more guests. Well, I don't have more guests, but I do have guests more often this time around, and I'm pleased to welcome back once again, third week in a row, John. Three weeks? It feels just like two days. It does. <laughs> it feels like it, we just did this, like, you know, a minute ago. <laughs> sure does, but it's good to be back, and it's always fun chatting with you, Matt, so thanks for having me. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about this loved Sorkin show. And folks, if you haven't uh, heard from prior podcasts, the results of the poll are in. We will be covering season one of The Newsroom in the next block of covering Sorkin shows. And John and I actually originally had talked about doing a newsroom or Sorkin podcast uh, a few years ago. And I finally got it off the ground and started to get John to join in with me a little bit. He's too busy of a guy to be here all of the time, but I know you're going to make some time for some newsroom episodes, aren't you? Oh, I'll, I'll try to be there for every single one. I love the newsroom. Me too. And and uh, folks, if you don't know, our, our friend Bubba, who has also appeared on this podcast reviewing uh, The Social Network and also the pilot episode of The West Wing, he is not a fan of the newsroom. So we're going to try and have him on, too, to, so that we don't sound like we're just all gushing, you know, rainbows. He's going to put a little damper on us, I think. That should be fun. <laughs> Good old Bubba. Always here to spoil the party. Always here to spoil the party. He, he has a podcast called The Joffrey of Podcasts dedicated to the greatest king that ever was, and that's Joffrey Baratheon, uh, first of his name. Uh, and he acts a lot like Joffrey Baratheon when he's pooping on a television show. So... That works out perfectly. Yeah, it makes for a good time. Makes for a great time. Uh, I guess I've said enough about uh, the podcast. And it, again, John, it's great to have you back. And we should talk about this episode, Season 2, Episode 18, 17 People from the West Wing. It was written by Aaron Sorkin. It was directed by Alex Graves. That's a director that we're familiar with, of course, from Game of Thrones as well. He's, he's followed uh, 
he actually also did some newsroom episodes, uh, maybe even some sports night episodes, if I remember correctly. So uh, he's been kind of associated with Sorkin for a long time. And we've, of course, got to know him really well in his work with Game of Thrones. Uh, the episode first aired on April 4th, 2001, and was viewed by an estimated 18 million viewers. Geos.tv, that's the Global Episode Opinion Survey, ranks this episode 16th out of 158 possible episodes. And here is your episode summary. Toby figures out that the president might not be running for re-election and is given a full disclosure as to the reasons during a very tense evening that also has a security threat to airports happening. Meanwhile, Josh, Donna, Ainsley, and Sam are trying to punch up the president's upcoming press correspondence dinner speech, which leads to some heated political and personal discussions. And John, as you know, every week, uh, almost every episode of the West Wing, there's some kind of walk and talk where people are walking through different parts of the building and talking about different things. And because there's so much heavy in this particular episode uh, with all of the Toby stuff and everything, it was very hard for me to find a way to do the quick jabs like we normally do. So instead, I thought I'd just take two of the more delightful walk and talks and use them instead as kind of a a proxy for both the quick jabs and the walk and talks. The first one that we have is Josh and Donna when he first asks her about the flowers he gave her. Hello. How you doing? I'm doing fine. Did you get the flowers? Yes, I did. Did you like them? They were very pretty. Do you know why I sent them? I know why you think you sent them. It's our anniversary. No, it's not. I'm the sort of guy who remembers those things. No, you're the sort of guy who sends a woman flowers to be mean. You're really the only person I've ever met who can do that. I'm quite something. Yes. I sent them to mark an occasion. Are we really going to do this every year? For I am a man of occasion. I started working for you in February. This is April, and you're an idiot. Well, you started working for me once in February, and then you stopped for a while. Yes. Then you started working for me again in April. That's the one I choose to celebrate, because it's the only one where you started working for me, and it wasn't followed by your not working, but rather going back to your boyfriend. And how, in comparison to that... And him, you can call me mean, is simply another in a long series oh, of examples. Oh, shut up, honest to God. Do you ever get tired of the sound of your own voice? No, 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 no. Well, where are you going now? Sam and I are going to punch up the thing for tomorrow. Hey, we need funny people. Yeah? You know any? See, right there is a joke. It's the oldest joke in the book. I'll say. You know what, Ado Annie? I sent you flowers. I think what you're trying to say is, why, thank you, Josh. They're beautiful. How very thoughtful of you. Not many bosses would have been that thoughtful. Really? Because what I think I was trying to say was shove it. Okay. Well, then I guessed wrong. You want me to help with the thing? Yes, I do. Because you are such an hysterically funny person. Did you notice how I used Anne there properly? Yes, I did. You crack me up. You know, there are times when, to put it quite simply, I hate your breathing guts. So the flowers really did the trick, huh? Oh, yeah. She's uh, she's not too happy about that, I don't think. No, she doesn't seem too thrilled. Yeah. I love the explanation that comes later, though. <laughs> we do have a second walk and talk instead of a, a quick jabs this week. And this one, we have uh, Sam and Ainsley on their way down to the cafeteria talking about the Equal Rights Amendment. I found this one particularly jabby, so it seems to fit almost with the quick jabs. Here we go with that one. You know, we should make a joke about women, because there's no law against that or paying them less money than men. Well, there is a law against that. It's the Pay Equity Act. It was passed in 1964 when women were making 59 cents to the dollar. What are you making now? 79 cents. 
So, everything's fine. No, there are still some problems, but I'm not worried because the federal government is coming to the rescue. Look. You think pay disparity is because some sexist and human resources hired two people for equal positions and paid the man more? Oftentimes... And oftentimes women make less money over the course of their lifetime because they choose to. Oh, good night, nurse. They don't choose to make less money. They're financially punished for having kids. They made a choice to have kids. Well, not necessarily if you guys have your way. But that's a different can of tuna. I flat out guarantee you that if men were biologically responsible for procreation, there'd be paid family leave in every Fortune 500. Sam, if men were biologically responsible for procreation, they'd fall down and die at the first sonogram. If the amendment's redundant, then what's your problem if it's passed or not? Because I'm a Republican, have we met? I believe that every time the federal government hands down a new law, it leaves for the rest of us a little less freedom. So I say, let's just stick to the ones we absolutely need in order to have water come out of the faucet and our cars not stolen. That is my problem with passing a redundant law. Sam? Yeah? The all-night pastry chef, you were just kidding about that, right? Yeah. <laughs> just left him high and dry. Uh, any thoughts about either of those two walk-and talks, John? I'm a little bit disappointed the all-night pastry chef wasn't real. I know. I would have. I, I. I could stand to have an all-night pastry chef myself, actually. Um, she's rather disgusted by it, though. She just shoves all the plates right back in his face. I mean, it's very interesting because I mean, typically women are seen as liberals, and to hear her defend a Republican position with just her own personal kind of, I guess, fervor is. It's, it's actually very interesting to have somebody own that kind of principle of less government. And even though at her own expense. Yeah. And one of the things that I've loved about season two with Ainsley is that by having a conservative working in that White House where they have to interact with everybody else, you don't have to like put Josh or Sam in the in the juxtaposing side of, of being in opposition research or anything, you know, to try and argue a point. Uh, to prepare something. It, it seems a lot more natural this way that Sorkin can present both sides of an issue uh, within the writing itself. Yeah, it's a different spin and it's something we typically don't see. It's it, it's interesting to hear such calm conversation between a Republican and a liberal. Especially in this political climate that we're in today. That is for oh. certain. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, we're not going to go down that rabbit hole. We could go on for hours, but yes, no, it's so heated now and everyone's, it's very black and white when it's probably a lot more gray. Right, exactly. Do you want to say something before we get into these particular clips for the, the episode itself? Um, there's a lot of visual, John, as you know, when, when you watch this, there's, there's a lot of visual acting where nothing is said. There are long pauses and everything. And while that's great, even for audio tension, I do have to keep a, a, a certain amount of time limit on, on the clips. And so I, uh, had to cut a lot of those long pauses out. So it probably won't come across as effectively as an audio podcast as if you watch the episode. So please don't just you know, even if you haven't rewatched the series in a while or if you're watching it for the first time, just think, don't think I can just listen to the clips and get everything. It's never the case. You should always watch the episode because there's always stuff that I have to cut out. There's always stuff um, that means so much more visually because as great as Sorkin's writing is, I have always said that one of the things that makes his writing great is the execution 
of the writing and that's very dependent upon the the actors and the directors and, and all of that and that's why this is a television show and not a radio play so please folks if you haven't watched this episode lately um to feel the full impact that we have for having recently watched it please uh, do yourself a favor because this is a really powerful episode to me one other thing that I did want to say is there's no CJ in this particular episode. And uh, originally, Alice and Janney was scheduled to film this episode. There was a part uh, for CJ in it, but uh, she had to be written out because she had to fly to London, England in order to film extra scenes uh, for the hours where she played Sally Lester. Um, so uh, I guess she got called to do some pickups or something and, and she couldn't uh, do the filming of this particular episode. So they had to just write her out. But I have to say, John, I don't really miss her all of that much just because of all of the great interplay between uh, Josh and Donna and Sam and uh, Ainsley. You, you tend to I don't know where she would have fit into this episode anyway. Yeah, no, it's that's the benefit of having an ensemble cast like we have. Um, I'm not too familiar with the actress that plays Ainsley, but she's no slouch, even though I think at the time she's a little bit lesser known. Right. I, I, didn't she end up in one of the CSIs or something like that? I think that's even why she left this show uh, uh, eventually was because she got a lead role in one of the CBS crime drama things. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I her voice is so familiar and her face is so familiar. And I'm sure while we listen to other clips, we'll come back to it and we'll tell everyone where she is now. <laughs> exactly. Yes, we shall. <laughs> well, why don't we go ahead and get into this first clip then uh, from the night of the filibuster to six nights later, Toby continues to think very hard about Hoynes and his big move against big oil and asks questions of Leo along the way. His conclusions lead Leo to convince the president that it's time to tell Toby about the MS. Meanwhile, Josh, Donna, Sam, and Ainsley work on a speech, but the issue of the Equal Rights Amendment causes a debate. And then Bartlett reveals to Toby that he has multiple sclerosis. About why Hoynes volunteered to slap down big oil? It was his polling information. Yeah, but why did he put the poll in the field at all, is what I'm saying. John Hoynes is an egomaniac who needs to be told what people think of him. <laughs> well, that's pretty unusual for Washington. Yeah. Leo, has there been a discussion in some room, someplace, anywhere on any level, about Hoynes being dropped from the ticket in 2002? No. You sure? Yeah. Because I thought maybe it was an Eisenhower-Nixon. No, Toby, I wouldn't give it a lot of thought. Okay. Toby, nobody, and particularly not Hoynes, would be naive enough. What I mean to say is if he's going to New Hampshire for the reason you're thinking, he would mask it with something. It wouldn't be an official trip. He'd make up a benign excuse to be up there. I know. So why are you concerned about the speech? Because it comes in the middle of a three-day camping trip to Killington. Why does Hoynes think the president isn't going to run again? What's going on, Leo? Mr. President, I've got Toby waiting in his office right now. Why? We've got to tell him. What happened? He got curious when Hoynes volunteered to step in for Bill Trotter. 
and then more curious when he found out it was because Horns put a pole in the field. Yeah. Now he's camping in Killington, Vermont, with a quick stop Come in on. New Hampshire, and Toby's not an idiot. He... None of them are. You gotta see this as an opportunity. To do what? To gauge reaction. You think Toby's reaction's gonna be the same as the public's? I meant the staff. Which will be? Shock. Betrayal. Confusion. Concern about our future. What do I tell him? Everything. Go get him. Yes, sir. Now it starts. Toby. Yeah. Sam and I are going to stay and punch up some of the jokes for the correspondence dinner. Yeah, I read it. They forgot the funny. Yeah. You want to stay? Where are you going to be? Go find a place. I'll hook up with you in a little bit. What's going on? Nothing. You're not... You're not, you're not one of those people. Sam, if by those people you're referring to Episcopalians... You're going back to Smith College, the cradle of feminism, to argue in opposition to the Equal Rights Amendment? And get some decent pizza, yeah. They're gonna hate you. Sam, I'm a straight Republican from North Carolina. You don't think they hated me the first time around? Yeah. What are you doing? I want to punch up some of the jokes from the correspondence dinner, and I'm looking for people left in the building who are funny. I can't find any, so I came to you. I would think, Sam, with your infectious sense of humor, you would have no trouble. You want to help me or not? I need to do this. We've ordered Chinese food. Okay. Toby, around 10 years ago, for a period of a few months, I was feeling run down. I had a pain in my leg. They both eventually subsided. But then, eight years ago, the pain came back, as well as numbness. My vision would be blurry sometimes, and I'd get dizzy. During an eye exam, the doctor detected abnormal pupil responses and ordered an MRI. The radiologist found plaque on my brain and spine. I have a relapsing, remitting course of MS. I'm sorry, sir. I have multiple sclerosis, Toby. Just the look on Richard Schiff's face uh, when he first hears that news. It's just like exactly the way Leo described it. it you know, shock. Um, and and all of the things that Leo kind of predicts manifest themselves in Toby throughout this episode. And, well, we can talk more about it later, but there, there's never really that much of a concern other than it being fatal that Toby has for for Bartlett's health in general, it, it it seems rather cold because he kind of jumps being the political operative that he is. I mean, we saw in the in the first part how he's, you know, asking these questions and he's basically starting with all these kinds of possibilities and then he's narrowing it down till he gets to that last one. And I love how they kept going back and forth between him bouncing that ball against the wall because that's what he does to work out problems, you know. And then as he's asking Leo the the question before it went to the titles, you could hear the ball bouncing, even though, you know, it's it's not really bouncing. He's not really bouncing it at, at that time. But the audio cue of that as, as to be the representation of Toby's wheels turning was just so fantastic, I thought. Yeah, no, it's you can you don't even have to watch it to just hear the wind get sucked out of the room when he finally lets them know it. It's it's extremely powerful and it is just shock. I mean. We all learned this episodes ago where he's just finally figuring it out. And it's, yeah, it's like, I, of course, have never been the biggest Toby fan, but I even feel for him in this moment because it's, it's a lot to take in at once. 
where, I mean, we just recently saw Sam get his world kind of flipped upside down where I think Toby's is kind of spiraling in a circle at this moment because he doesn't know what's going to happen for the president mainly. At least that's how I always interpret it. I mean, he could be more, I guess, selfish and more worried about his career, but I don't think he's going to have too much of a problem after spending time as a speechwriter for the president. Right. Yeah. And I think that it, I agree with you. That is his biggest concern at this point is, is just, uh, he's kind of already jumped in his mind as he's getting the news. It almost seems like a, a little bit further down, which we'll get to in the next clip. He's already thinking about legal implications for the president, you know, um, about fraud, about all of these other things. I don't feel like he really gives himself even though we will hear him excuse himself in the, in the next clip, I don't feel like he ever really gave himself enough time to absorb the information. He's just started tackling it as a problem immediately. And that, that's kind of one criticism. It's very typical of Toby. This is the same guy that, you know, like we talked about last time that understands why not liking green beans is detrimental. That understands why Mandy Hampton coming is terrible uh, in terms of to work for a Senator is, is terrible for the president. Um, he understands that thing, but he's already he's spent so much time embedded in solving this problem that it's almost like he can't get out of that mode to be a human being for a minute. And I think it's one of those ways. I think just Toby is a character. If he can't emotionally handle it, he goes to his crutch, kind of like Sam went diving into work again. Mm. Same thing Toby does. He's just going, OK, how can we resolve this? How can we fix this? Even if obviously you can't cure them, what can I do to make this okay, at least for now? Yeah, good point. Good point. Um, let me ask you this, because uh, I know that I cut a lot of it out uh, of the first part of the clip. But when you watch this episode, at the beginning when Toby is asking all of these questions, did you feel like Leo was being as truthful as he could be with Toby? Or did you feel like he was trying to play him off or mislead him? It's one of those situations where it's one thing to work with your friends rather than just coworkers. Where I think Leo, he considers himself a friend of the president to the point where he doesn't want to betray his confidence. Where I think he knows telling Toby's the right thing, and I think that's why they eventually do. So I think it's kind of one of those things. He's just trying to placate Toby and just be like, don't worry about it. This is this is probably what it is. Or come on, just forget about it and focus on this. And it's like, it's one of those situations. It's like, don't put me in a position where I have to lie, Toby. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good good call there. It's kind of like uh, the the whole need to know kind of uh, clause right. in, in a lot of ways. And and finally, when Leo does figure out that Toby needs to know because otherwise he's just going to uncover it anyway. Um, that's when he goes to the president and, um, and again, he's kind of, you know, he's still looking at this. Leo is still kind of looking at this from a political perspective to me. He's, he's like, you know, time to gauge reaction so that we can get past this and, and, and figure out how to go on with the next election, let alone what Bartlett has promised to Abby or whatever. He's, he's still, when him and Toby formed the committee to reelect the president, you know, he's been in political mode pretty much ever since. Yeah, and I think that's also Leo trying to deal with uh, this issue. He's had longer time to kind of focus on it, think about it. But I think it's kind of one of those things. If I just put my head down and work, 
I don't have to deal with the re- reality of the situation. It's it's hard enough that the president has to deal with it. At least I can just do whatever I need to do to get him reelected because I know that's what he wants to do. Right. Very good. Now, as far as Sam and Donna go, uh, how did how did you f- or Sam and Josh and and Donna and and Ainsley go? How did you feel about the exchanges that led up through this part of the clip? I know some of it was presented in the walk and talk with Josh and Donna. Um, and uh, I found it kind of funny that both of them uh, used the whole I'm looking for somebody funny, but instead I found you. Uh, both of them kind of used that line on their perspective helpers. Yeah, it's it's quite interesting that they're both saying this to women. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, is it like this is their pickup line? Because I almost, it's kind of weird. I, I get you get a similar tension between Sam and Ainsley as you kind of get between Josh and Donna. I don't think it's quite as close, but it's there's some sort of tension between the two. It's kind of one of the yin and yang, opposite to track sort of thing. At least that I've always picked up on. Uh-huh. But it's it's interesting to see them to try and. Like, I got to punch up this speech, but I got to work on the comedy. And it's kind of like, I don't know. Anytime I've ever tried to be funny, the harder I work at it, usually the less funny it gets. So I find it interesting that these political people are like, we got to work really hard on this. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, when they went over some of the jokes, they absolutely were not funny. That was for sure. Uh, in this episode, some of the jokes that uh, they were trying to, to weed out, some of the jokes that they made weren't even that funny, but uh, they were waiting on Toby, who only comes back to them at the end of the episode to, to help punch up the funny, because evidently that's his thing. Who would have thought that being funny is Toby's thing, the guy that's always screaming in the corner? It's usually the people who are in the most pain that are often the funniest. So That's often true. You're right. Yeah, I didn't think about it like that. Anything else on this particular clip? I thought it was strange that Chinese food brought Ainsley back. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a food thing with her. It's always a food thing with her. If you remember uh, just a few episodes back, you know, everything was about, are you going to eat that? Do-? She even went to the, the majority leadership and asked them if they were going to eat the donut or something that they'd left yeah, behind. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about until you brought it up. Yeah. But I guess if people were still hanging on, uh, the actress that plays Ainsley is Emily Proctor, and she was known for... It looks like a, a guest appearance on CSI and then jumped into CSI Miami. Yeah. So, and then her last TV series was White Collar, which she was on for a few episodes. And right now it looks like she did a movie, and that's where she's at. Right on. Well, good luck to her. Um, she certainly made season two a lot brighter for all of us here watching The West Wing, I thought. I, I adored Ainsley. Um, even if I r- very rarely agreed with any of her views, I still adored her very much. Um, anything else on this clip? No, I'm good on this one. All right, let's move on then to clip two, where Toby has to excuse himself when he finds out more. And Leo follows Toby to reveal how he found out Toby becomes distressed about the extent of the cover-up while Josh finds out that the first lady won't be at the president's side for his appearance at the press correspondence dinner and then tells Sam to cut a joke that might draw attention upon that due to Charlie's suggestion. Symptoms can be as mild as numbness or as severe as paralysis and loss of vision. Yep. Cognitive function. Yep. Is it? I'm sorry, is it fatal? No, that's the good news. The bad news is there's no cure. Yeah, that I know. 
Has relapsing ever turn into secondary progressive? Yeah. Sure. Is there any way of telling if it's going to? No. I'm sorry, sir. Uh, I need to. Can I? Uh, excuse me. And we also like to thank our host, Bill Maher. We're not making fun of the host. Who are we making fun of? Republicans. I only wish the speaker were here tonight, but he's held up in negotiations on the Hill. He's demanding his latest prenup include a line item veto. There it is. All right, two groups. You guys over there, we'll stay over here. I want to be in the other group. Why? The Kung Pao chicken. Get the Kung Pao chicken and come back here. Let's go. In a half hour, I want to make Toby laugh. Two nights before the State of the Union, he had an attack when he passed out in the Oval Office. That was an attack. I thought it was the flu. It wasn't. How is it possible that this was kept a secret? First of all, who else knows? You're the 16th person. Who else? I'll tell you some of them. I won't tell you all of them. The first lady, the doctor, radiologist, the specialist, the kids. Who else? That's it for now. Took a physical. Those doctors are from eight years ago. He took, he took a physical it's and disclosed that. It doesn't show up during a physical. You know, it's in remission. Nobody lied. Nobody lied? Nobody. Nobody lied? Is that what you've been saying to yourself over and over again for Look, a year? Leo, a deception of massive proportion? I can't even... He gets a physical twice a year at Bethesda. His doctors are naval officers. Are you telling me that officers are involved in this? Toby. These guys are going to be court-martialed. Nobody... Listen to me. Nobody was asked to lie. Coercion. Nobody was asked to lie. Officers, the first lady, surgeons, surgeon generals, for all I know. The plural of surgeon general isn't surgeon generals. It's surgeons general like attorneys general or courts martial. Nobody was asked to lie. That was Gareth from the FAA. Upon interrogating Rhett and Assam, they believe it's possible that another rental car crossed the border yesterday. Let me ask you, you think this joke's funny? I'm sorry the speaker isn't here. He's up on the hill in last minute negotiations. He's going over his prenup and he wants a line item veto. Well, I think it's pretty funny, but what? I wouldn't do it. Why? I think it's going to call attention to the First Lady not being there. Where's Ms. Barlow going to be? She went back up to Manchester. She's not coming to the correspondence dinner? Probably not. We're doing fine. Toby's going to come in here and nail it. This is his thing. Yeah, uh, cut the speaker joke, okay? Mrs. Barlow might not be there. Okay. All right. So, uh, we're going to be fine here. Yeah, okay? we're doing great. We're doing great, everybody, right? Sam, we've got one here, but it involves a John Wayne impersonation and a sock puppet. Yeah, we're eating it. Oh, Sam. He tries so hard. It's not funny. <laughs> not funny at all. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because it's not funny. Right. It's funny for us to watch him struggle. Yes. But uh, but I find it interesting how much leeway the president gives Toby when he walks in on their conversation. He's calling into question whether people are lying and that like this is some sort of conspiracy and this is like what kind of liability have we set ourselves up with here by not telling the American people. And and he just kind of just says it very, you know, matter of fact, they weren't asked to lie. This is it. This don't worry. And he and he's but he's first to correct him on the the position <laughs> in which he's talking about that, <laughs> that it's the surgeon's general. 
It's like if you're going to talk about it, get it right. It's just the consummate professor. Yes, he's always uh, he's always correcting everybody's everything. The Bartlett is, but it's one of the fun things about him because he is so human, and yet he has these tendencies to be almost anal sometimes about that kind of stuff, you know. Uh, and I love that. I love that uh, because he he wouldn't dare let that slip, especially from his speechwriter. Yeah, no, but I just it shows a great amount of trust with Toby and a lot. Of, he just. It says a lot for somebody who's speaking like that, who's like so kind of freaking out and he's so calm. And it's like he it's like you're talking about the person that's in the room with you as if they're not there and him understanding Toby enough to basically tell him it's okay, Toby, just relax where most people would get really angry and probably blow up. Right. Right. At least I would. Yeah, I would have a hard time with it too. And uh, Bartlett's patience goes a lot longer than than mine would, but it does get to a certain boiling point. And in fact, and part of it is, again, I'll say, and I love Toby, but he he kind of misplayed this to me, and, and not that he probably had any choice. You can't help how you're going to react to something. Sometimes you can choose how you act on that reaction uh which i think toby made some bad choices in this episode in terms of his reaction the way he voiced his opinion about certain things um but at the same time uh toby just kind of took the whole human element out of it which is something that bartlett has always excelled at is putting the human element back into things and i think that that's probably what offended bartlett the most it wasn't the fact that whether Toby was wondering about a cover-up or, or this or that. None of that really bothered him. It, what bothered him the most was the way Toby started leaping into questions that were, uh, e- even as indicated at the first part of the clip, where all of a sudden he starts talking about cognitive function, all these other things that would affect the presidency, and not even giving a, really more or less a rat's ass about Bartlett's personal health, other, other than, again, like I mentioned before, the fatal question. Um, and that's really more a matter of, of looking at it from the presidential aspect too. you know, who cares whether you suffer between now and then? Is it fatal is, is what it would come across to you. And I think that the, the, it's the personal health aspect of it that eventually sets Bartlett off later in this episode, which is very interesting. And, and uh, I'll go ahead and spoil this later on in, in, a, in a future episode, Toby kind of admonishes himself. Uh, for the way that he did react uh, when he has a conversation with Josh. But we'll talk about that when that episode comes up. Um, I, I think here the thing that really got me, though, was the way Richard Schiff act, his, his acting as Toby, because there are many moments where he's just like has to stop. He has to put his hand on his head. He, he has to stand up and he's standing up and he asks if he can stand up. That wasn't in the clip, but uh, he's already standing. He, he is so launched into this, just like you said earlier, John, this spiraling that he cannot possibly even be aware of what he is doing himself. And, and, and I think that part of that is, what sets off this extreme reaction that he has. I mean, he's being told that he's told once by Leo that, you know, no officers were made to lie. And yet in the very next sentence, he says officers, all of these people, part of coercion, you know, so he's not even listening to Leo at that point. 
Yeah, no, it's you're you're listening almost to a one-sided conversation of Toby's having with himself. Yes. And, and it's a stream of consciousness and it's it's one of those things where you see Toby at the beginning have a very human guttural reaction to the the news of of MS and the president and then the human side just totally recedes cuz he can't cope with it and I think that's kind of what you see through the rest of the episode is just him this is how he copes is he just he pushes that down and just tries to be as non-human as possible which is not always a good way to do things <laughs> especially when it comes to a matter of someone's health oh my uh, you're absolutely right john and uh, just a couple other things as i said i had to cut a lot of stuff out um to get to the real meat of what was going on between toby and the president throughout this whole episode but there were other funny bits in in the whole sam ainsley josh donna thing you know, I, I thought Donna's aud- dead audience jokes, uh, I thought that was pretty <laughs> funny that she had uh, when when they were doing that stuff, which we didn't get in a clip. Um, the fact that uh, she was reading fortune cookies half the time, that was great <laughs> while everybody was trying to make bad jokes. Um, so that was great. And, and then Charlie's revelation about not being uh, at the, you know, Abby not being at, at the correspondence dinner, um, that was a great indicator that there's still a great deal of trouble going on just between Bartlett and Abby about the promise, let alone, you know, this new thing that, that Bartlett is having to deal with. And on top of all of that, you know, Bartlett's sitting here trying to, to ease Toby into this as best he can. And yet he's got to worry about whether he's got to close down airports because of bombs. I mean, of all, it's like a, the culmination of a, of a really bad storm, you know, two storm fronts coming on and hitting a town at once. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Just as you start talking about that, my mind just shot right to the um, the correspondence dinner that President Obama was speaking at um, the night that Osama bin Laden was killed. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just it granted this um, what happened in real life is way probably more intense. But um, I, I want to say CNN, they did a special on it recently on the anniversary of that. And it's very interesting to go back and kind of for them to line up the dominoes of all the stuff that was going on. And kind of in retrospect, that correspondence dinner doesn't mean anything at all. But yet you have this massive operation being kind of put behind the scenes. And the whole time the president is telling jokes before all this happens. Yes. I mean, it's just like it's so kind of crazy. It's like you can only imagine what's going on through his head at this kind of supposed to be a fun event. And it's supposed to be lighthearted where he's got like the weight of the entire nation on his shoulders while he's cracking jokes. It's just I couldn't even imagine being in that situation. Yeah. And you kind of see that in this episode, too, a little bit. They're not I don't think they they're at the correspondence dinner at this point, but they're getting there. Right. They're just they're they're just writing a speech for it. But I mean, like I said, Bartlett has a whole bunch of terrible things going on. He's he's and, you know, of all of the nights for Leo to have to come to the president and say, we got to tell Toby. You know, well, he's got this other whole national security threat thing going on. You know, it's just kind of like uh, I, I, I'm surprised there isn't a scene in here of Bartlett just beating his head against a wall <laughs> somewhere when Toby and Leo aren't around uh, when he's having to take the calls from the from the uh, FAA guy. Yeah, so. 
It's, it's yeah, it's exactly like the president's in there trying to put out like a hot garbage fire, and then Leo comes in. Hey, I'm going to throw a little accelerant on this for you. Exactly, exactly. Uh, will will twenty gallons of gasoline be all right for you, Mr. President? <laughs> oh. Yeah, make it thirty just for good measure. Let's really get this puppy going. <laughs> Let's just bring in the tanker truck, shall we? Uh, <laughs> anything else on this clip, John? I don't know. I think we beat that dead horse. Yes, that horse is quite dead. Um, and it's still getting a whipping. So let's move on to clip three, where Toby's questions about the MS raise questions in regards to being commander-in-chief and questions about the assassination attempt that turns the discussion into a very heated argument. Then, while the president must get more inf- information on the security threat, Toby and Leo discuss worst-case scenarios. We're in the Situation Room as Commander-in-Chief. I know. I can't believe we're all still here. Mr. President. The episode was over. Leo was with me. The Chairman of the Joint Chiefs was with me, as were the Secretaries of State and Defense. Do you receive medication? I'm sorry? Do you receive medication? I get injections of beta serine. From whom? Is your wife medicating you? I think it'd be best, while temperatures are running a little high, that you refer to my wife as Mrs. Bartlett or the First Lady. That's because I never signed the letter, but I don't think I got shot because I got MS. No, I don't think you did either, sir. I meant that during a night of extreme chaos and fear, when we didn't yet know if we'd been the victims of domestic or, or foreign terrorism, or even an act of war, there was uncertainty as to who was giving the national security orders, and it was because you never signed a letter. So I'm led to wonder... Given your condition and its lack of predictability, why there isn't simply a, a signed letter sitting in a file someplace? And the answer, of course, is that if there was a, a signed letter sitting in a file someplace, somebody would ask why. The commander-in-chief had just been attacked. He was under a general anesthetic. The KH-10s showed Republican Guard movement in southern Iraq. And 12 hours earlier, an F-117 was shot down in the no-fly, and the vice president's authority was murky at best. I wasn't in the situation room that night, but I'll bet all the money in my pockets against all the money in your pockets that it was Leo, who no one elected. For 90 minutes that night, there was a coup d'etat in this country. And the walls came tumbling down. I feel fine, by the way. Thanks for asking. Sir. No, Leo. Toby's concern for my health is moving me in ways... Mr. President... You know, your indignation would be a lot more interesting to me if it weren't quite so covered in crap. Sir. Yeah. Mr. Garrett. Thanks. Are you pissed because I didn't say anything, or are you pissed because there were 15 people who knew before you did? I feel fine, by the way. Thanks for asking. Take the call in here. We'll step outside for a minute. It's because the State of the Union set up the re-election run and somehow she's under the impression that's not supposed to happen. The First Lady... No kind of investigative mind. Zero. Took me six days and 23 minutes to figure it out. Mine was 14, who was 15? Dr. David Lee, the anesthesiologist at GW. Getting back to... I'm sorry, Leo, but I need you to look at me right now and tell me the doctor's not under any kind of surveillance. The doctor's free to talk to whomever he likes. Leo, Hoynes left breadcrumbs. He wanted me to find out. A camping trip to Killington? That was a jackass move. I don't think it was. I think he may be the only one around here who's acting responsibly. To who? The Democratic Party. 
He's gonna run. No, he may not have that option, Leo. What do you think is gonna happen? I suppose one of five things. The president can decide not to run. He can run and not win. He can run and win. And what are the other two? Leo. You think he's gonna need to resign? There's gonna be hearing upon hearing upon hearing. He hasn't broken a law. Says you. And you don't have to break the law to get served with articles of impeachment. Toby, it is never gonna get that far. Write down the exact date and time you said that. Wow, that's that's really an intense clip, <laughs> John. Um, yeah, no, it's. Eh, yeah, I mean that's like watching like two gigantic political egos like smashing into each other at once. It's it's incredibly arrogant of what Leo says, and it's exceedingly I don't know. Uh, Ugh, just so empty of emotion and humanity. Um, and he's just, he's accusing people of like wantingly causing like disarray in the white house and not in like lack of trust. It's just crazy. I'm a, I'm amazed Toby wasn't asked to resign. Yeah. Um, that that is uh, something that came to my mind too because there, there's a couple points where Toby's idealism overrides his sensibilities, and uh, it gets very dangerous. Some of the language that he uses with anyone, uh, but let alone the president of the United States, you know. And here we had that finally that boiling point for Bartlett, where it's like, "Look at me, I'm a human being." You damn conspiracy seeking machine. Just look at me. I'm, I'm a human being here. I'm fine. Thank you for asking. That's where I said, you know, it became much more for personal for Bartlett about his own personal health. He understands that Toby is going to go to some of those places. But the fact that Toby never even paused for a second. And I think that your explanation as to why is perfectly valid. But that doesn't make it hurt any less for Bartlett, you know. And there's a point in Bartlett or in Toby's little thing about the night of the, of the shooting that I just loved. Not only was it written so beautifully, but it was also acted by Richard Siff so well because the pausing and then his voice just got a little louder and a little more strained and a little louder and a little more strained with each line in between the pauses, the rage just building up within Toby and it became like, um, to me, it, it was as musical and as lyrical as uh, as a piece of, of Wagner. You know, it, it literally it was a masterpiece of, of Sorkin writing and and uh, Richard Schiff's acting to, to have Toby get to that point. And then for the climax to be Bartlett striking back, I mean that scene all by itself in, in its entirety. And again, folks go back and watch the whole scene because there are these pauses where you just hear the clock ticking and that helps build the tension too. You know, this was so beautifully shot. Alex Graves just did such a magnificent job. The sound mixers did such a great job. Everybody did a fantastic job. It's one of the most powerful pieces of drama that I've seen on NBC ever. Um, and it still measures up to a lot of great drama today, but the, 
the whole thing, the way it just built to this musical and not pretty musical. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Stravinsky. I'm talking about Wagner. Wagner. I'm talking about things that are, are violently musical. It, it just felt like that to me. Oh man. I just love to hear you preach. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I had to break the tension there. Uh, but yes, no, yeah. that's, it's very, yeah, the whole scene and it's, yeah, it's just crazy. Like, it's like you guys are friends, and it's like you're talking about the worst case scenario possible. When he brings up the articles of impeachment, I'm surprised Leo didn't go off and clock him. Isn't it a real possibility, though? I mean, that's what Toby does. Toby always looks for... Why do you think he's worried about green beans? He always looks for the worst case scenario. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, and I, I think one of the reasons that Leo saved his job... In the very beginning, uh, back when we saw in the flashbacks of, of the the two gunmen episode, was because that's what he needed from Toby. Yeah, and then there's that. There's the, but, then there's a straw that breaks the camel's back. Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> and, and Toby is, uh, you know, Toby has uh, certainly pushed the envelope way past where it ought to be. Um, that's for sure. Uh, so I, I can hear you there. Yeah, it's it just seems like it almost and I I've been struggling to find it. It a lot of the conversation seems to be right on the edge of basically saying I don't really trust either you, Mr. President, or Leo. When he accused it of being a coup d'état when he got shot and because he didn't have that letter. Yeah. Yeah. That I mean that's like these like granted they're not with the exception of the assassination attempt, they're not fighting a war, but they are kind of brothers in arms against the world in the White House. And it's like, if you can't trust each other, you guys are not in the right line of work. But I guess that's politics for you. <laughs> Possibly so. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else on this clip? No, it's, it's a powerful clip. And, oh, man, you're going to have to find some other musical sections to get talking because, man, you've brought up all sorts of just musical memories there. Yeah, well, it, it, it is, man, that, that whole – and, and it, you didn't need Snuffy's score behind it, that which was brilliant, too, with all the tense strings and all that. But all you needed – that conversation was an orchestral piece all by itself, thanks to the great acting and, and directing and, and – and dialogue, and I've said that way too many times already. So why don't we move on to clip four, where <laughs> Sam and Ainsley have uh, they have it out over the ERA, and Donna explains to Josh why him making their anniversary of working together is so upsetting. You insist government is depraved for not legislating against what we can see on the newsstands or what we can see in an art exhibit or what we can burn in protest or which sex we're allowed to have sex with or a woman's right to choose. But don't you dare try and regulate this deadly weapon I have concealed on me for that would encroach against my freedom. Yeah, and Democrats believe in free speech as long as it isn't prayer while you're standing in school. You believe in the Freedom of Information Act, except if you want to find out if your 14-year-old daughter's had an abortion. We believe in the ERA. Well, go get them. How can you have an objection because to something that says... Because it's humiliating. A new amendment we vote on declaring that I am equal under the law to a man, I am mortified to discover there's reason to believe I wasn't before. I am a citizen of this country. I am not a special subset in need of your protection. I do not have to have my rights handed down to me by a bunch of old white men. The same Article 14 that protects you protects me, and I went to law school just to make sure. 
And with that, I'm going back down to the mess because I thought I may have seen there a peach. I'm trying to find that speech Sam said. You know, we keep them on computer. Well, yeah, sure, I suppose. Except but... you don't know how to use a computer. Right. Ah, Josh, Josh, Josh. Yes? Joshua, Josh, Josh. What the hell is happening now? You feel, I believe, because you're quite addle-minded, that this job was my second choice. Hey, I'm just grateful we were your last choice. I'm going to give you a little gift right now, which you don't deserve. Donna, if you've got your old Catholic school uniform on under there, don't get me wrong, I applaud the thought. But... Okay, what I need is for you to stop being like you for a second. Okay. When I came back, you remember I had a bandage on my ankle? Yeah. I told you I slipped on the ice on the front walk. Yeah, you know why? Because you didn't put down the kitty litter. I was actually in a car accident. You were in a car accident? It was... Seriously, you were in an accident? It was no big deal. You told me it was a late thaw. Yes. I did. Anyway, they took me to the hospital, and I called him, and he came down to get me. And on the way, he stopped and met some friends of his for a beer. He stopped on the way to the hospital for a beer? Yes. And so I left him, which was the point of my telling you this. I left him. So stop remembering that. What I remember is that you took me back when you had absolutely no reason to trust me again, and you didn't make fun of me or him, and you had every reason to. Donna. You're going to make fun of him now, aren't you? No. Because that's why I didn't tell you in the first place. I'm not going to make fun of him. Good. But just what kind of a dump kiss were you... He was supposed to meet some of his friends. He stopped on the way to tell them that he couldn't. And had a beer? Does this make you feel superior? Yes. You are better than my old boyfriend. I'm... I'm just saying, if you were in an accident, I wouldn't stop for a beer. If you were in an accident, I wouldn't stop for red lights. Thanks for taking me back. Oh, and the flowers are beautiful. Aw, now how can you not want to see Josh and Donna get together after a scene like that? Isn't your heart just a flutter? With the romance, <laughs> but seriously, you know that is a, that is extremely sweet. And uh, Donna obviously had the last word, and she won, of course. Donna wins often. She doesn't usually win on the political issues, but I think that's just because she likes to go Josh. Mainly, uh, she takes the opposite side just to bug him. She's the devil's advocate, the contrarian. Yes. And plus, I think she also uh, gets some sort of odd pleasure from watching Josh get not only flustered, but like to speak because he'll go off on his crazy tangents and we all get to enjoy that. So in a way, we're all Donna. We're all Donna. Yes, we are. We are. <laughs> Ainsley, on the other hand, oh my gosh, I love the way she argues. I mean, she just... Uh, and, and that's one thing ever since the first time we ever saw her on, on this show, she's been putting Sam in his place. Like, I, I think it was the Kirkland, Oregon versus Kirkland, California argument in on the on the Capitol Beach show. That was the first time he ever met her and why he was so against her coming to work for the White House in the first place. And 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 then there's the whole iambic pentameter thing that she does that Tribby called her out on uh, when she first came to work for the White House. Mixon, doing a little bit of a Yoda speak there. I love it. Yeah, no, it's 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 one of those things, like after this well-eloquent, you know, serious conversation, we're just going to end because I'm going to go and get a peach. Yep. She's got to get some food, man. 
<laughs> food is what drives Ainsley, man. Anytime there's food involved, she's ready to go. Love it. Love it. Anything else on these clips, buddy? No, I I guess I can only uh, tip my cap to uh, Ainsley there for, you know, not uh, wanting the government to stick up for it. It's very admirable. And again, we don't see that kind of point of view very often. Well, and it gave me a, a real appreciation of actually what um, her version of feminism is. is it, you know, she says she's mortified by the fact that some law has to make her feel equal when she, she you know, does that mean she wasn't equal already? Um, and, and funny that she comes from a school. I mean, it was established earlier in the episode. She was going back to her alma mater, the very cradle of feminism, as Sam had called it. Um, and yet her feminism is just as appealing to me and not because it's right or wrong. I do think that women deserve equal pay and I think that they should have never not had equal pay or anything like that. It's just that I, I feel like that I can almost see her point in the fact that if you are a woman, why would you want a bunch of old men telling you, Oh yeah, you're equal to us now. You don't have, you shouldn't have to be told that it should just be accepted. Yeah. It's yeah. It's like arguing that the sky is blue (laughs) when we all know it is blue. So why are we arguing about it? Right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, great stuff. Well, let's move on to the, uh, I guess this is the final clip where Toby asks about the security condition, and then he and the president conclude their talk, leaving everyone uneasy as Toby goes back to help punch up the correspondent dinner speech. At the airports, why not heighten security? What's the downside? Sorry about that. What's going on? Charlie, i got to make the call. Yes, sir. Let's get Gareth back. Toby was just asking what the downside of going to a security condition was. The scanners they use take an hour to search the luggage of 250 passengers. The condition requires two photo IDs. Most people only have one. Delays. Delays are the downside. Mr. Gareth. That timed out well. How? Okay, let's do it. I'm ordering the airports to a two condition. You'll have it in writing in about five minutes. Thanks. I didn't know enough. I know the feeling. I have no intention of apologizing to you, Toby. Would you mind if I ask why not? Because you're not the one with MS, a wife, three kids, and airports to close. Not every part of me belongs to you. This was personal. I'm not willing to relinquish that right. It will appear to many, if not most, as fraud. It will appear as if you denied the voters an opportunity to decide for themselves. You're generally not willing to relinquish that right either. Yeah. Mr. President, at some point in the near future, we're going to have to speak to some lawyers. Well, that's what usually brings on the episodes, but if you say so. It's 17 people, by the way. I'm sorry? You knew. We weren't counting you. It's 17 people. (sighs) 
I don't know. It may have been unbelievably stupid. It may have been unthinkably stupid. I don't know. I'm sorry. I really am. I've got to go in the other room and... Uh... Yeah. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks. Thank you, Mr. President. Okay, so the president was asked no, to pick okay. tonight's no. menu, and he says, "Ah, just serve anything you want, except lame." Yeah, yeah, guys, Toby, listen, listen to this. Okay, okay. So the president I, says, "I know times are tough. The Nasdaq just filed for not-for-profit status." Toby. <laughs> okay, uh, you have to uh, tr try and imagine that the the president is saying it. Tell me if you think this is funny. He said he wasn't going to apologize, and then he apologized. <laughs> and you know why? Because he finally came around to see Toby's point of view. I think what got it was Toby pointing out that there were actually 17 people. And I, yeah. I think that's what made Bartley realize it's like, you know, this wasn't an intended cover-up, but any time there is a cover-up, Mistakes are going to be made into unintentional cover up or non intentional cover up. Mistakes are going to be made, and it's the whole thing that brought Toby to the table in the first place. And that's when Bartlett realized how, even if it wasn't intended as any kind of fraud or anything, that Toby's point about it could being being perceived as fraud was very important. Absolutely. It's the things uh, that definitely bring him to that position he's in and keeps him there. Um, but it's some of the things he said were almost unforgivable. Oh, I think that Toby way, way crossed the line. I mean, he left the line like, you know, three miles back. <laughs> um, and and that, that was one thing that made me very uncomfortable. I mean, I... I love Toby for his passion, but as I said before, sometimes his passion overrides him, and this was clearly one of those times. Um, somebody at some point should have put his head through a wall, uh, and he's very lucky that somebody didn't. You know what I'm saying? He, that Bartlett didn't just call in a Secret Service agent and just tell him, <laughs> kick him out of the building. Um, <laughs> but at, at the same point, you know what I love about Toby's passion is that that's what got him there, and the thing that I that you pull away from this is as troubled as Toby is by all of it, he doesn't say, well, that's it. I'm out of here. He says, you know, we're going to need to talk. Some, he's, he's thinking about moving forward with it no matter what. Um, and that was the thing where I saw Toby pulling back as well as Bartlett feeling like he had to pull back. So I, I, uh, I love that, that even though it's an kind of an uneasy reconciliation, um, that, at least they now understand each other, whereas they didn't at the beginning of the of the episode. Yeah, it was definitely an olive branch or an extension of the president's hand to basically say, Toby, I understand the way you feel. I don't appreciate it, but I appreciate it if you're going to support me. And that's when he said he basically when he said they're going to need to speak to some lawyers. And I think that's kind of 
even though he said that usually brings on the... Uh, <laughs> He's trying <laughs> one on last try at being funny, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, like you said, it's definitely uneasy, but I think they walk away saying we understand each other's perspectives and we just need to support each other. Yeah, agreed. Uh, I got a couple, just a, a couple of real quick bullet points here on, on this scene, too. Um, you know, the thing that lays in the background of all of this is, of course, the whole airport security thing. And when it comes out that, you know, really the only decision why they're not or the reason why they've been waiting to make this decision is because of airport delays. And you think about this in a post 9-11 world. I mean, first of all, it's just freaking scary that this kind of thing would just work its way into a Sorkin episode less than six months before 9-11. But when you think post 9-11... Um, how much uh, delays there are at airports all across the world uh, because of terrorist threats. Um, another bullet point that I have is I, I found this time around watching it because I, I, maybe I wasn't paying that close attention the first couple of times I ever watched this episode because I was so driven by the drama of it all. Um, but there is a theme of rights that's kind of all brought together at the end. You know, Sorkin always likes to tie up all of his little in all his little stories in a nice, neat little bow at the end. Um, even if it's a, a continuing situation for the characters, um, you have Bartlett's right to privacy. You have uh, the Equal Rights Amendment. You have Toby uh, championing the voters' rights for disclosure. Um, it it all it all becomes about you know what rights are the most important, um, and which was a very interesting kind of way to to look at all of these different things coming together for me, and. Then, you know, the ending, which is almost all visuals when he goes back into the room uh, with everybody writing the jokes. And you see Toby going from the office trying to, to process all of this, just the look on his face and, and then showing him with the speech writing party. He's trying so hard to act normal. And Schiff was just amazing with his expressions in this episode. The whole thing was just incredible acting to me. And uh, even like, you know, they, they throw the ball back to Toby because that's what he uses to think while he's in the speech, you know, while he's in there with the speech writers. Um, and then you hear you hear that bouncing ball with a big echo on it as the very last sound that you hear is as the strings are fading out. Um, everything about this episode was just so visually and uh, from terms of audio cues the audio metaphors, as I call them, with the clock ticking and all of that. It just, it was a beautifully put together episode for me. And that's all I got. <laughs> I was waiting for that last bullet. Anything else? No, I'm good. You you summed it up real nice there. I don't want to tra trample all over that <laughs> like I've, I've done right now. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. Uh, let's go on to rating this episode. You first or me, John? Your choice. Uh, oh, you're the host, man. I'll 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 yield the floor to the the senior se uh, senator here. Okay. Well, uh, I will <laughs> say this. Um, 
I have a special grading scale. You folks can find it at, at sorkincast.wordpress.com. You can find it um, under the ratings tab or something like that there at the website. I can't remember exactly what it's called right now. Uh, but you can find it. Um, and you know that there are certain stipulations as to why how I rate episodes, whether it's something that I would recommend to a new viewer. If that's one of the higher numbers. Uh, actually, that's something that has to be in a nine. And technically, you really cannot do that you couldn't say say to a new viewer hey watch this episode you know and and expect them to get into the series because there is so much serialized stuff involved in this particular episode that it, they would just be lost and maybe they would see it as great drama but they i don't know if that would make them want to watch the whole series despite that i'm saying screw that screw it because you can't give this thing anything less than a nine you have to give it i, I for me personally i have to give it a 9.5 the audio metaphors the great acting um, even the, the speech stuff at the beginning, um, was just enough to counterbalance kind of the intensity, you know, you had, you had the speech stuff going on across the hall, um, to add just enough humor to the episode to, to keep it from driving you totally crazy or, or making you want to crawl under a bed somewhere. So it was a perfect balance of everything for me. 9.5. Well, it, it's a great episode. You can't you can't give it less than a nine, period. You, your argument stands. Very good. So, <laughs> I I mean it's so hard to kind of because there's so many good episodes. I I'm gonna have to stand next to you, Matt, and go with nine point five as well. I mean it's just it's so powerful. It's a very powerful episode, and they always seem to cram in all these little things that kind of. Even though it's on the outside, they could have easily done a whole episode on the Equal Rights Amendment alone. Right. But they decide to throw it in with this. It's just like, geez, what else can this show do? Exactly. Exactly. It's, this is a very uh, a dense television show on in any particular episode, and that's part of what makes it really fun. Totally agree. Well, that's going to do it for us in particular for this episode. Uh, episode of the west wing now john you're going to take a, a break for season two episode 19 bad moon rising but we'll have you back for season two episode 20 which is uh the fall's going to kill you and we'll talk more then in the meantime folks you can do sorkincast at gmail.com or you can tweet at sorkincast or you can call 314-669-1840 in order to leave a voicemail with any of your thoughts about west wing season two do so by july 12th 2016 to be included in the podcast which will follow the next sunday and if you have uh, favorites and least favorites of your episode scene main character and guest star for this particular season submit those two by that same date and it'll be included in our west wing season two awards but before we do that uh, how can people talk to you about any of these great sorkin shows like the newsroom or west wing well, to tell me how much you miss Don Henley music in this episode of The West Wing, you can tweet at me at J underscore McGonagall, and then we can talk about it there. Or if feel free to say what pop music should have been in this episode. <laughs> Very good. And folks, that'll do it for this time. Take care. Find all of the back episodes, links, and more information at sorkincast.wordpress.com. Leave the podcast a written review at our iTunes or Stitcher store pages. To submit feedback, send emails to sorkincast at gmail.com or call 314 
The Sorkin cast is a member of the Rewatching Good TV network.